0: Welcome to another edition of Colorado Issues. I'm Deanna Williams, and this program is designed to highlight the various organizations that serve the citizens of Colorado. And today we're talking with William Alstetter from the National Jewish Health. And this is a hospital, a medical center. You tell me how to describe this. We call it an
1: academic medical center. An
0: academic medical center. And we'll dive into that because... There's a lot of stuff going on at National Jewish.
1: There certainly is,
0: and I'm I'm proud to say, wow, you know, I'm in the same city as as this wonderful organization. It's great. How long has National Jewish Health Center been around?
1: It has been around for 118 years. Mm -hmm. It first opened its doors in 1899. Uh I don't think a lot of people realize that back in the late 1800s, tuberculosis was a terrible, terrible disease. There were no antibiotics. And Denver actually sort of made a mistake. They tried to attract people to come to the high, sunny altitude for sort of the cure. Mm -hmm. And they advertised to come – tuberculosis patients come to Denver and you will feel better. But the trouble is a lot of people arrived spending their last dime and they couldn't – they couldn't get into a lot of the sanatoria here. A lot mm-hmm. of the people don't realize also that a lot of the hospitals around the area started as TB hospitals.
0: And they used to call it TB consumption, right? Yes,
1: they used to call it consumption.
0: And now you were saying that various hospitals were sanatoriums. This goes all the way down to, like, Colorado Springs. Wasn't um, UCCS a sanatorium, too? I think
1: so. I don't know. I've forgotten exactly which ones. I think maybe Rose, maybe Swedish, but I'm not positive mm-hmm. on which ones, but several of the existing hospitals. But there were a lot of people who spent their last dime coming here. They couldn't get in. They were wandering around the streets coughing up their lungs, essentially. So a woman named Frances Weisbart Jacobs uh, got together with a rabbi, Friedman, and they collected lots of money and opened National Jewish Health in 1899 as a free tuberculosis hospital.
0: So you said it was a free hospital um, back then. Is it a free hospital today? (laughs) Unfortunately not. It
1: was for the first 70 years, almost 70 years, it was free. And there were people came from all over the country to be treated for tuberculosis and then a, a wider array of diseases. But if the economic realities forced us to start charging patients in 1968, I believe.
0: Now, Frances Weisbart Jacobs, who is she?
1: She was a I real mean, power community powerhouse here doing lots of things. She's more well-known for starting United Way, the, the conglomerate, the group of uh, charities that get together. Mm-hmm. So uh, she was just a very powerful community activist, I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I was reading, it was built, as you said, in 1893?
1: Yes, it was built earlier. Uh, the first buildings were built earlier, but then there was the silver crash of 1890-something. Exactly,
0: and it didn't open for several years, like six years, right?
1: Right, and then that's when B'nai B'rith, the National uh, Jewish Organization, stepped in and contributed some money, and that's what allowed us to open at that point.
0: Even though it's called National Jewish Hospital or National Jewish do you have to be Jewish to attend or no, to be a part of the? No, you do
1: not. A lot of people think that, and it's sort of funny. I find that sort of curious because you don't have to be Swedish to go to Swedish hospital, and you don't have to uh, be Lutheran to go to Lutheran hospital. Okay. But people seem to think that there is. We do have a strong sort of – I would say affiliation or connection with the Jewish religion, Mm -hmm. but there's no official ties. There's no, uh, you know, we, that's from the beginning. Mm -hmm. We admitted everybody. So we have a saying none may enter who can pay and none can pay who enter. And that was the policy for 70 years. And it's still written across the top. There's one of the old buildings at 14th in Colorado is called the B'nai B'rith building in Uh honor of B'nai B'rith. uh, helped us get started, and that is inscribed on the top above the door.
0: So now care is subsidized through grants and foundations and things yes. like
1: that? Yes, we, we depend a lot on uh, fundraising, uh, on donations to help us cover our costs. We I think the at this point the hospital pretty much pays for itself, but the donations are really helpful re- research. They do help us. What I think we do differently is when a patient comes, they'll spend an hour hour and a half with the doctor for the first time.
0: Oh wow, and that's is different.
1: yeah, well, we get very complicated cases from all over the country, so it does subsidize some of the care. Uh, but I would say it the donations come to we're trying to build some larger you know investments, sort of more capital investments. I would say mm-hmm. We're, mm-hmm. we have a piece of property that we bought right next to the hospital. About five years ago, we hope to build a new lung cancer center there and a treatment center, and so we will uh, try to – we're raising money for that.
0: Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Tell me about the various conditions that NJH treats.
1: Well, we focus primarily on respiratory and immune diseases. With our history in tuberculosis, it was natural. I think the next – once antibiotics became – available sort of around World War II a little after, then tuberculosis became a much more manageable disease and we saw much fewer patients and we started expanding our sort of repertoire and we moved into asthma, into a variety of other uh, diseases including chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, pulmonary fibrosis is a scarring of the lungs. There's a lot of different ones of that and then – from asthma, asthma is sort of a combination of a respiratory disease, but it also, there's a real allergic component. So mm-hmm. we got into the immune system a lot there. Mm-hmm. And so we do a lot of immune diseases, especially allergies, whether it's food allergies, hay fever, or even immune deficiencies.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, William, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and okay. I don't know if you're ready for this. What are the statistics as far as asthma goes? I mean, I it seems like everywhere I look, I see kids that, oh, yeah, I have my inhaler. You know that kind of right thing.
1: it has grown quite a bit. I think the current thought is there are it's about eight percent I think or of uh, children have asthma and or eight percent of the American population somewhere 15 20 million I think is what it uh, would be is the number of people and it grew quite a bit during the 90s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. The – I think it's leveled off. It's not growing more as – more common right now, but it has in the past 20 years, and that's been a real source of uh, sort of consternation trying to figure out what that's about.
0: Yeah, and why is that? Is it because you know there was a popularity of smoking in the 70s, of course, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and then maybe children didn't develop that type of – Immune function? I am not medical, first of mm-hmm. all. Let's go ahead and point this out. Um, I'm going to say the wrong words and, and mess this up terribly. Yeah. But I, I always wondered why asthma took off like it did.
1: Uh, a lot of people do. There A lot of allergic diseases in general took off at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't think we know exactly. One of the sort of leading theories, and there's a fair amount of evidence, is something called the hygiene hypothesis And the thought is that we were not exposed, that a lot of people, especially young people in the 80s, 90s, were not exposed to as many bugs, basically. They lived too clean a life. Really? And their immune system, you need to sort of be challenged a little bit. And your immune system didn't develop as well. Hmm. Um, In the third world, in Africa, there's 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 barely any asthma or allergies.
0: Interesting. That makes complete sense.
1: It has to. Yeah. So that's sort of a thought is that we didn't get challenged, didn't develop quite right. And now it sort of overreacts. The Mm. immune system overreacts when it sees pollen or respiratory viruses or certain things like that.
0: What makes National Jewish different from other hospitals? You were saying that, you know, patient care when you first come in is an hour, hour and a half as far as an intake session. What
1: else? Well, I think part of it is It's the focus. It's specialized. I mean everybody there is talking lungs. Yeah, And then assorted uh, the related diseases, the heart, the gastrointestinal tract. I think it's small and I think what we really try to do is bring a team approach. Mm -hmm. And since we're small, what happens is somebody comes in and if a lung doctor sees him and he says, you know – I don't think that it's just your lungs. I'd like someone to look at your heart. Usually we can turn it around within often that day or the next day someone can come and go and see the cardiologist. And they might go see the GI person if they think that some acid reflux is a real complicating factor for a lot of respiratory diseases. Mm -hmm. So I think that our ability to get all those people to focus on the patient and then those docs will get together and talk about that patient – and I think that team approach, you see the whole person rather than seeing a pair of lungs, seeing a heart. It's not the sort of, it's not your lungs, go to the cardiologist. Six weeks later, you see the cardiologist. He says, hey, it's not your heart. You better talk to the lung guy. And I think we, you know, our team talks to mm-hmm. each other. And mm-hmm. I think that really helps. A lot of our patients come from out of state. And probably a third or so, and they'll come for a week or two weeks. And so during that period, you know they're seeing everybody. And if there's something comes up, we have some uh, excellent patient ambassadors who will uh, juggle the schedule, get you into that cardiologist, get you into the GI person, get you into the oncologist, and then the team works together. So I guess it's the integrated team approach that we really think makes a difference.
0: Yeah, kind of like the Mayo Clinic of the Rockies.
1: Uh, That would be a way to put it. That would be a way to put it up. Yes.
0: And I know that there are pillars that NGH has, care, research, and education. Why don't you talk to me about those three things? Okay.
1: Well, that's sort of the the three areas that we think of. The care, I was just talking about a little bit about that integrated approach, really focusing on the patient and taking the time. Because we have, especially the out-of-state patients come, they've seen half a dozen doctors and they haven't been able to figure it out. So now they're going to make a trip of hundreds or thousands of miles. So that's part of it and our focus. Um, And one of the things that – it's a little bit aside but it's related is this is this model of care and we've started to try to export it a little bit and we've made partnerships with St. Joseph Hospital here in uh, Denver with Mount Sinai Hospital in New York and just recently with Jefferson Health in um, Philadelphia. And those – we're trying to export our – that sort of integrated care, that model of care to these different institutions. Mm-hmm. But research is also a big thing mm-hmm. for us and that's that's a huge part. The tallest building on our campus is the research building um, and we do both clinical trials which are the trials of when they're trying out medications or new treatments. You know, we're, we're part of a couple of big networks, national networks for both food allergy and COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And that's basically the other smoking disease. You can get lung cancer or you can get COPD. And so in the food allergy, we're part of consortium of food allergy research and we're trying to understand and try a number of treatments, uh, to, prevent or uh, alleviate um, food allergies and that has – the biggest thing there that I think is showing some promise is something called immunotherapy and there's a different – number of different ways to do it but you're basically giving somebody little, little bits of the the food they're allergic to Mm -hmm. and just below the level where they might react and then you can increase the level and you sort of grow some tolerance to it. But there's a variety of trials going on there. The chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which actually doesn't get a lot of attention, uh, but it we've got a huge study, the biggest one in the nation, something called COPD gene, and it's 10,000 patients around the country, and we're trying – we're looking at their – doing extensive sort of x-rays and CT scans of their lungs, looking at their genes, getting tons of information about their lifestyle, their other medical – um issues and try, and then following them. I think we're in our about we're pushing ten years now and they're trying to figure it out. What they're trying to figure out partly is, you know, all these people who smoke, not everybody gets lung disease. Not everybody gets cancer, not everybody gets COPD. Well, what protects some people, what doesn't protect the others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're doing a lot of they've they're starting now to get some real results and discover things about that you don't, even though you don't think you have it, then you, you can, we've found ways to sort of detect it earlier. There was one finding recently that men with, uh, who smoke have a very high, uh, prevalence of osteoporosis, weak bones. And then nobody knew that. Now we're trying to say, you know, if you've got a COPD patient, go and, and check, check, your bones. check the bones. So that's mm. it. And they're hoping that eventually they will find out what causes it, what potential treatments there are. And, and it hasn't gotten a lot of attention before this. So this is the biggest effort, and we're hoping that we'll make some real progress there.
0: That's wonderful. You know, as far as patient care, I know that there are so many patients that get frustrated because they're bounced around from here to there. And so it's really neat that National Jewish has that one centralized area and then a team approach, as you were mentioning. And then the genotherapy, I mean – you started this 10 years ago or you know COPD that's just gene. one, yes. one right. area of research and that is breakthrough stuff. I know that you know stem cells are, are huge right now too and, and working through that so the genotherapy. How many researchers do you guys have in Denver?
1: Uh, well there, it sort of breaks up into sort of basic bench scientists and then the clinicians who are the physician scientists. I've I'd say about a hundred, hundred and fifty. I wouldn't mm-hmm. really. I'm yeah. a little uncertain, but uh, we have a building full of them. That's for <laughs> sure. And we do a lot of research. We have asthma. We've been very. There's a whole sort of raft of new medications coming out for asthma, which comes under the sort of rubric of personalized medicine. And they've been, for years, and it's been great. The inhaled steroids. And uh, and a combination of medicines have made a real difference in asthma. But then there's this little group that just does terrible no matter what. And we're, we're sort of learning how to identify them. Mm-hmm. One has a certain kind of cells called eosinophils. And we've there's been a new medication developed to specifically prevent them from accumulating. Um, and there are things like that that are having some real luck because at this point – If you take your medication, which a lot of people don't, uh, asthma seems to be a fairly controllable disease for most people. Then there are these really severe ones that are, you know, that are always going to the hospital. And we are bringing in new medications for that, and we've been quite involved in testing those medications and trying them out. And there's still more sort of in the pipeline that we're trying.
0: Mm -hmm. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and the body is so complicated and. When um, I have friends who are studying medicine and when they say, oh, yeah, we're practicing medicine and it's not an absolute science all the time. There are things that have been discovered that work and that is, you know, the go-to. But there are things that just baffle the minds of, you know, our smartest researchers and still they're trying to work it out. So – I'm in awe of people who are in medicine, truly. I am. I wanted to ask you about the doctors. I understand Mm -hmm. that the doctors are very very highly ranked.
1: Yes, yes. Well, you know, they really focus on what they do, and that's – we've been lucky, and and our whole hospital really focuses on specific things. I mean, you know, whether – the guy who knows asthma knows asthma better than anybody else, or the woman who knows cystic fibrosis knows cystic fibrosis probably better than anyone in the country. So we've yeah. we've been very fortunate to um, attract very good doctors, and you know they're well represented on national lists of best doctors, and on the fifth, local fifty two eighty. And I think it benefits that they are all sort of. Small enough, and they're there together, and you get in the elevator, and someone talks about what he's she or she's doing with cystic fibrosis. It can have an impact on, might give an idea to someone who's treating asthma or interstitial mm-hmm. lung disease or any of the whole raft of lung diseases that you've probably never heard of.
0: Tell me about the specialty programs that you have for children um, with regard to education as mm-hmm. well as treatment.
1: Yes. Well, education is sort of the other pillar. Care research education is is one of the pillars of our work. And we have a school on the campus called the Mortgage Academy that is for children with chronic diseases who are falling behind in school. Mostly, they are at children with asthma, but there's cystic fibrosis. There's uh, HIV. There's a variety of other diseases they'll they treat, but it's a elementary school on the campus of the on the main campus of the hospital. We, as far as we know, it's the only one like that. So the kids come in. They, there's nurses there on staff. They get some treatment, and they also have small small classes. And I think it's a very uh, sort of. Nurturing environment. They yeah. get their health a little bit under control. They may, they get them to exercise all the time and then the kids can attend school because what brings them in is they have asthma. They miss a ton of school. They fall behind and the schools are not equipped to deal with kids who have really bad asthma. We're much more equipped. We teach them how to take care of themselves so that hopefully when they finish in eighth grade or earlier, sometimes they transition out, that they will be able to take care of themselves. But That's it's a, a really,
0: wonderful approach. That's really compassionate. Oh,
1: it's been a great – it's a great school, and I think these kids really benefit. Uh, there's a lot of low-income kids um, that get a lot of care that they wouldn't otherwise get.
0: And I can imagine bonding with other kids who are just like them.
1: Yeah, they don't feel like the weird kid. Mm-hmm. They're not the kid who has to sit out, the – you know the uh, the sports time or anything else. They all they're just they're just another kid there, and I think that uh, that is really helpful.
0: Is the schooling like online schooling too, or are there teachers? No, there it's teachers, there?
1: teachers classrooms. There, there's ten, You know, it's about a hundred kids, and there's it's K through eight, and I think a lot of the classes are sort of four, five, two, three, one, two, and they mm-hmm. they adjust. To these kids, so I think uh, it's it's kind of like a real a regular school in some ways as far as the education.
0: That's great. Now, as far as reaching out with the internet to, I know that this is a very benevolent organization as well, and there are a lot of free programs. Um, what can someone you know when they go online? What will they see?
1: Well, there's we have a tremendous amount of uh, health content. Certainly that we produce ourselves. You know, a lot of hospitals will, uh, sort of contract with somebody and get publicly available, or not publicly, but just generic stuff. And we develop all our content. We have about 10,000 pages on there. So there is a ton wow. of, uh, access for, you know, inter- information about various diseases. We find that people with chronic diseases you know, have been fighting this for years. They really want to dig deeper into knowing what's going on, what's co- what's coming down the pipeline, how to treat themselves better. We also do a lot of classes, education classes, and I would guess that I would say that you know the majority are our patients, but they are open to uh, anyone in the community. So there's a variety of things. You know, how to use your um, CPAP machine, which is for sleep apnea. How to uh, avoid how to read food labels better, how to treat your asthma better, how to care yourself and there's a place on the website that you can find a lot of the community um, the community programs. Yeah, outreach is there. Right. We also do a few programs that reach out into the larger state sort of medical ones. Something we have something called the Asthma Toolkit which we have uh has been developed by a a gentleman named Bruce Bender and that is to teach Rural practices, how to diagnose, recognize, and manage asthma. And just recently, we got a very large grant to take that to the Navajo Nation. So we'll be reaching out to them. And they suffer like two to three times the uh, rate of asthma that most people do. Really? Yeah.
0: So is that in Oklahoma or – I know there's a couple of reservations in Oklahoma, but is it locally here?
1: It's in the Four Corners area is where it is pretty much uh, that That reservation is huge sort of – I think it's not into Colorado but it's Utah, Arizona, New Mexico I believe and certainly Mm -hmm. Arizona and New Mexico. I'm not sure the full extent but it's a very large – geographic area.
0: Mm -hmm. Talk to me about pollution. I know that there's um, a program with I-70
1: pollution. Yeah, you know that there is going to be a major reconfiguring of I-70, or at least it looks that way. I'm not sure if the final, final approval has occurred yet. But there, you know, for a long time, the people who live right there under I-70, Globeville, Swansea, Elira, Elira, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh you know they've they've been under the right there near the uh I70 and that's also a fairly industrial area there's are some other processing plants and so we've gotten a grant recently and people are going to to sort of monitor the pollution but we are we like to say we're empowering the citizen scientists we're uh reaching out to the communities there and asking them to actually wear some personal uh, air pollution monitors, several people in there, about the size of a smartphone. Uh-huh. I think they'll wear them for a few days at a time that will help them understand where, you know, when do they face more pollution. Sometimes Times it's in day,
0: et cetera, Yeah,
1: locations, sometimes it's indoors when you're cooking really? or different things. And so we're, we're going to try to get that and we'll also be doing 15 air monitors Sort of stationary air monitoring uh, stations there, and that will it it will hopefully educate them, the people in the community, about what they are exposed to, where they're exposed more, less, and sort of understand and get a certain faith. I think they're a little suspicious that all the information they've been given is not completely accurate, or there is some concern about. There's a lot of concern about pollution up there because the highway. Certainly puts it out, not only from the air pollution from the cars, but also all the little particles from the rubber and various Mm -hmm. things. And there has been an association. It's not completely clear, but certainly air pollution contributes to worsening asthma. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to try to figure out exactly what's going on there, teach a lot of the residents, get them involved. And then they're hoping that that will serve as a real baseline to see what this whole project does. The project is designed to – sort of make that a more, not only improve traffic flow, but to make it a less polluted area. Yeah,
0: make it better for everyone in Colorado.
1: We'll see how that works out. So uh, I think it's a really sort of exciting program.
0: That sounds wonderful. I mean, everyone's going to benefit from the pollution prevention. If someone wanted to get a hold of the hospital and look into care for themselves, how would they go about doing that?
1: Just call the main number and say, this is my problem. And they'll do a fairly extensive intake questionnaire to help figure it out.
0: And you can find that telephone number at nationaljewish.org? Yes. Thank you so much, William. I appreciate your time today. And, you know, look forward to the upcoming discoveries from National Jewish Hospital.
1: Well, we'll try to get the word out and tell you about them. Great.